Well, hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to Just Think, the podcast, the podcast where we don't want to tell you what to think. We want to challenge you to try it along with us. Critical thinking skills, putting those to use and asking yourself, what's really going on? What do I really need to understand about the current events that are going on right now? We're just three good friends who come from across the political spectrum who've been on the pursuit for the truth. When we recognized that perhaps we weren't getting it from our traditional news sources and certainly not from social media. So as we did a little digging, we found we were united and finding the truth is the truth is the truth. And today we are joined by a doctor that we are, we could sit and talk to all day long, Dr. John Murphy at Tempe, Arizona. And if you missed our last podcast, you want to go back and listen to that first because John shares how he spent decades as an MD, an internal medicine doctor, and began to transition into a more holistic approach to medicine. And, and, he, has, and he shares why, so you have to go back and listen to that episode. But to kick off this episode, we want to talk about what's happening right now. We want Dr. John to just shed more light on what's happening around COVID, around treatments, What's happening in our world? Can he help us decipher and make sense of it? So I'm Holly Brewer. I'm joined by Amy Ludwig and Kristen Ludwig. <laughs> and we welcome you, Dr. John Murphy. Thank you for being with us. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, we know you are an expert. You are currently treating COVID right now. You have COVID patients in your practice now. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. So I know of no one better to ask about treating COVID than the people who are actually doing actually it there wow <laughs> imagine that now john we actually got <laughs> to <do> that <laughs> we got to know you through anna murphy who is your niece in wilmington north carolina because you were advising her and trying to get her father treatment if you guys missed that podcast that's a more recent episode as well you've got to go hear anna's story but you knew how to advise anna because you were actually uh, treating COVID patients. So, um, John, why don't you tell us how are you treating COVID patients? What 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 kinds of things are you uh, educating your patients on to treat this disease and keep them out of the hospital? Well, you know, the first thing, and um, um, and and I really appreciate Anna uh, connecting us too. Thank you, Anna. <laughs> You're wonderful. Um, is that I you're want... more wonderful, Uncle John? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So I want people to recognize that our bodies, uh, as we said in the, in the last interview, uh, um, we have innate healing and repair mechanisms. And sometimes the immune system is called the immune system, but truthfully, it's actually an immune and a repair system, meaning it does all the, all the work. We just give it one name. But uh, I want people to recognize, and we, I educate them on the preventative. So, you know, people come to me, first of all, on a regular basis for their, you know, staying healthy type of visits. And part of that is we'll check a, check a nutrient level. What's your vitamin D level? And many doctors do, have not yet picked up on checking vitamin D level, but vitamin D level is, um, it's critical. It's as critical as electricity is to running a house today. Um, every immune cell has a vitamin D receptor on it that activates it or makes it do its job better. And so I, I educate people on how to do the vitamin D. If you're low, how to catch up. If you're normal, how to stay caught up, how to take some zinc, because zinc is one of the most um, 
depleted minerals in our society. So getting, you know, uh, 15 to 30, maybe even 50 milligrams of zinc daily, the body will regulate it and excrete if there's too much. So I get, first of all, on that, in answering your question, preventatives. And another preventative is, is good night's sleep. And I know we can talk more about that some other time, right? But also some fitness, some activity. Don't just sit there, you know, sitting is the new smoking and all that stuff. Um, it, it turns out that the more physically fit we are, uh, the more nutritionally fit we are, as far as, you know, vitamin C and D and zinc, the less likely we would be to catch COVID and certainly the less likely we would be to become uh, severely ill with COVID. And it turns out in many people's view that severe COVID or, you know, COVID-19 more specifically, severe cases of COVID-19 are really a manifestation of low vitamin D levels. And that people who have mild or almost no symptoms from uh, COVID-19, they typically have a, a, a vitamin D level that's robust and healthy, and they've got a lot of sunlight, and they've been physically active, and they've gotten good night's sleep, you know, at least six out of the last seven nights. So taking care of our whole being, you know, Absolutely. And you know, it's so interesting. I got COVID uh, about three or four weeks ago and had managed to fight it off this whole time. And I'd been around it quite a bit. Um, but I have to say it was after three or four nights of terrible sleep. I was in a hotel room in an uncomfortable bed. My husband had not been with me. I don't sleep as well when he's not at the house. And so I'm telling you, you know, I, I've said to people, I swear it was because my sleep got screwed and then my immune system lowered and then I got it. So that's very, very, very good advice. And I think there has got to be more emphasis on prevention. And Dr. John just laid that out for you. Here's the things you need to make sure you're doing that vitamin D, vitamin C, the zinc, certainly good night's sleep and getting outside and getting the activity in as well. Yeah, affirmations of positivity. My body can heal. My body knows how to heal. My body will heal. Thinking as opposed to my body's gonna get sick, my body's gonna die, my body's sick, it's dying. Yes, you cannot, and, and I will tell you, I mean, there is a proverb in the Bible that I have told people a million times, I believe in this in every aspect of life. It says, as a man thinks within himself, so he is. And you just, you have got to make sure you're guarding those thoughts and you're, 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 you're those thoughts that are not positive and life affirming, you've gotta, you've gotta do something with them because they're not good for you. They, they will manifest. I really believe that. So let me ask you this. <clears throat> They've, you know, you've told them how to prevent. They come into your office with a positive test. What's next? So um, typically we um, look at the things that killed the virus quickest and that um, and also at what stage of illness people are in, because we're now becoming more aware that there are three distinct phases, and that is one, which is the early phase when the virus is replicating, and that may take seven to 14 days, but uh, somewhere in there from the five to the 15th day, we transition over to the virus is, is everywhere and replicated very rapidly, and now it's becoming very uh, inflammatory, meaning it's, it's inflaming and causing a lot of fatigue, ache, you know, um, symptoms of sorts. And then the third phase, which is the clotting, is when people become severe and don't get over the C, uh, CV-19 in the first um, two weeks, then they can go into a longer, more um, uh, chronic and maybe not so, so severe, but long, long ongoing um, symptoms. So if we recognize what stage they're in, there, we're more um, able to uh, specifically address what they need. So initially, if they come in just having um, 
the onset of symptoms yesterday, you know, we will work to help them to clear the virus so before the virus replicates in large amounts. And the best things I know for that are um, uh, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, um, vitamin C, um, and even um, a solution that's used throughout South America and um, is approved by many FDAs in South America called CDS for chlorine dioxide solution, CDS. I typically get, get mine from um, REI, you know, Recreation Equipment Incorporated. Oh, I'm not supposed to mention names, I guess. But. Oh, no, you're fine. Hey, you're fine. We don't care. We don't have a sponsor and we're not going to have one that controls what we say. So you are good. What is, um, so CDS, is that solution something you take orally or is it? Actually, it's made for hikers and campers and it's made to put into the water tank of your trailer, if you have a trailer, to improve the taste of the water and reduce any microbes that would be in there to zero or near zero, whatever. So it's really for, for, for hikers, they take it and, you know, when it, they run out of, you know, the, the water that's, you know, from the spigot, they have to get it from a stream sometimes. And that's not going to be pure or not necessarily going to be as pure, <laughs> pardon me, microbial free. I shouldn't say pure, but, um, and so you add the seven drops of, of the, um, uh, chlorine dioxide solution to the um, to the water bottle and you, you get a quart of, of um, microbial killed water, <laughs> something safe to drink. So that's what it's intended for, but it turns out um, to be amazingly impressive in how effective it is. And um, researchers, physicians in Spain and Colombia have been researching this for a year and a half, but I will also say this, that it is completely censored. Um, okay. So yeah, we've never heard of that. I've never, never heard of that. Never heard of that. So why is it being censored? You can get it at REI, right? For in a normal situation. So why is it being censored? Um, well, you know, the, the agenda, in my opinion, is that there's we need more drugs, more profitable drugs. And if you get something that's not uh, patentable, it's not profitable, or it's not going to be as profitable, I should say. And so I think the reason we're not hearing about it is because of censorship, because intention to follow the money and profit from the money. And so we want, you know, if, if we have an effective treatment, we can't do emergency use authorization of anything else. Mm -hmm. So we, yeah. these effective things are, are being censored for purely for the purposes of profitability. So is this something that you would take um, if you were diagnosed with a positive COVID test in the early phases, is this what you, or is this something that a preventative strategy? Well, you know, the good thing about the CDS, um, and you know, I'll, I'll probably say that whether you know it or not, this podcast, just by me mentioning CDS, you'll probably be taken off some of your platforms, just letting you know. Oh my God. Because. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll make, we'll get it out somehow, Dr. John. <laughs> a, um, a virus property, which is most well known for, for but it has actually an anti-inflammatory property. So remember I mentioned the, the viral replication phase and then the inflammatory phase that comes right behind that. It, it addresses both of those phases, um, both the, it could, because it, it prevents the virus and that's a whole you know hour long biochemistry microbiology lecture, but um, uh, it also seems to calm down the inflammatory markers that make people sicker and sicker and end up with cytokine storm intensive care units. Mm, wow. But ivermectin hydroxychloroquine are readily available. They're in almost every pharmacy in the land and they, they are very good at antiviral 
uh, work. The other thing comes from um, Dr. Frederick Klenner, who um, oh, about 60, 70 years ago um, was in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and he wrote um, extensively about how high doses of vitamin C, whether it's given by a shot or orally or how by an infusion in, you know, in an intravenous bag, you know, it's very effective at wiping out viruses, not just one virus, but all viruses, especially RNA viruses, it turns out. And so, um, you know, if someone comes to my practice with the virus, the first thing I'll do, we have a, an isolation room where we can bring people in from an outside entrance so they don't come through the waiting area and, you know, everybody doesn't want to be sneezed on, coughed on. So we bring them into a separate room from their car and give them high dose of intravenous vitamin C, uh, maybe even two days in a row. It, they get better. That is amazing. And I've also heard vitamin C could be even good for the arteries of the heart, like actually high, high dose vitamin C can actually help with heart health. Have you heard this? Yeah. It, you know, the wrinkles on our skin and the, and, the, and the inside lining of our blood vessels have something in common. And that is they should be elastic, you know, but once you use elastic up, it, it, it I mean, the band in my underwear doesn't rebuild it. <laughs> Elastic in my arteries and the elastic in my skin uses vitamin C to repair and rebuild itself. So once again, the immune and repair system comes to play with vitamin C. And we should let people know it's pretty hard to like overdose on vitamin C. You would just probably have an upset tummy, right? Like it's if you're worried about, am I taking too much? Doesn't it kind of take care of itself? It sure does. And, you know, it'll give you diarrhea when you get the, right. more than your <laughs> You I'm will. Say, it's just going to give you more diarrhea. That's all right. I'd rather have that than COVID. Coming <laughs> <laughs> from irritable bowel syndrome, the constipated kind, I'll take the diarrhea. Yeah. That's, how I, that's how it used to be. If you want to listen to the what the hell, I had to throw that in there. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, you know, in, um, in terms of vitamin C, Dr. Klenner was showing um, you know, 50, 60 years ago that, you know, that the amount is what really matters and that every virus will respond. Some viruses respond to 10 grams. Some viruses take 20 grams. He used to, to label his, um, his children's virus, viral illnesses. That must have been a five gram cold or a 10 gram cold, you know, and we were treating coronaviruses back in the 1980s. So they typically only affected um, you know, severe asthmatics. Otherwise, everybody else just got a head cold and got over it in a week. And but every once in a while, you would find a um, an asthmatic who would need to be intensive care unit hospitalized for, um, you know, for coronavirus that made their asthma worse. But we at the time I was still in training and we weren't using high doses of vitamin C then. But I've since learned that that is so effective. And uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is when people take vitamin C, there's two forms. One that's the synthetic kind called ascorbic acid. And that one is not well absorbed. I don't recommend ascorbic acid in doses over 500 milligrams at a time. But if you want, the, the, the ascorbic acids like Dr. Klenner was using have a mineral name attached to the ascorbate. So it's sodium ascorbate, calcium ascorbate, magnesium ascorbate, zinc ascorbate. It's not, you know, hydrogen ascorbate, which is known as ascorbic acid. And, and you know, since we learned it from nature, Nature puts it in the mineral ascorbate form, but mankind, when the chemists got hold of it, they said, well, let's make it in the acid form. It won't be that much different. Will it? Well, yeah, it is. It doesn't work as well. It doesn't absorb as well. So I take things like, you know, calcium ascorbate, which the most famous brand is Ester C or 
emergency, which has a, a multitude of mineral ascorbates. Some people just buy the pure sodium ascorbate, and that's what Klenner was, Dr. Frederick Klenner in um, Fayetteville was using. Okay, so not the ascorbic, not the, uh, what'd you say, the ascorbic acid, not that one. That's what you're saying, stay away from that one. Yeah, that's most all synthetic. And um, I think, um, you know, it's better to, if we're going to take amounts over 500 milligrams, we probably should be taking it in the mineral ascorbate form. Okay, so here, so in addition to that vitamin C that he just mentioned, you've got vitamin D. How much vitamin D would you suggest people be taking daily right now? Taking 5,000 units a day. And um, I, I had suggested people have a measurement done to, to guide them because if you're low, you want 10,000. If you're sufficient, just keep taking the amount you're taking. Anywhere from 2,000 to 5,000 is usually enough. And here's the other thing about vitamin D that you'll, you'll will, um, resonate with you. And that is that the more stress we're under, guess what? The more we use vitamin D. So if we're we're worried about the news telling us how deadly this is, then we might actually need 5,000 or more. Uh, but I also take my vitamin D with vitamin K2, and that's because K2 works integrally with, um, with uh, vitamin D3, so D3, K2, or K2, D3, in, that, um, in the calcium handling, which is a separate part of vitamin D's role. Okay, so got it. Calcium handling, uh, vitamin K2 is important. So that's what I why I take them together. Okay, so a vitamin C that's got like calcium ascorbate is what you said, <clears throat> and vitamin D3, zinc. Um, I know a lot of people have suggested quercetin with zinc. Do you suggest that as well? Yes, I think quercetin is another of the um, antiviral um, um, you know, nutrients that are found in nature. So to me, and I think of it like, you know, quercetin is to a plant like collagen is to a human. Quercetin is most plants. It's like a structural, um, you know, protein, uh, a structural chemical. So quercetin is in, you know, the apple peel, the apple uh, core, the apple flesh to a little small extent. It's, it's in onions. Quercetin is, is in so many different things. But yeah, I, I, I think quercetin is good as an antiviral, especially in coronaviruses. Okay, perfect. Okay, and then you mentioned ivermectin and hydrochloroquine. These are words that we are seeing thrown around as um, really, they can be highly effective medications in treating COVID. They've been around for a really long time. I know ivermectin's on the WHO's <clears throat> World Safest Drugs list. Um, both drugs, having been around FDA approved for other things, are not FDA approved for COVID. Why, Dr. John, will they not, with so many doctors, including yourself, treating effectively with those uh, vitamins, minerals, things that you've mentioned, in addition to ivermectin and hydrochloroquine, why, why won't they approve it? What's your opinion on that? Uh, I think it has to, to do, to some extent, with the, um, uh, the emergency use authorization of the vaccine, so that um, it, it, it may be that if, if either one of these were um, labeled by the FDA to be effective, then it would not allow um, the emergency use author authorization for the vaccine. But, you know, the, the hydroxychloroquine works especially well to prevent uh, the corona from entering into the cell, and, um, uh, and then the ivermectin prevents the, um, um, the, the virus's genome from entering into our nucleus, where it can then be processed and and replicated. So it's, it's like a one-two step that we know the mechanism of action of both of these uh, drugs against the coronavirus. And uh, the FDA just is um, dragging its feet, hoping to protect its, um, 
uh, its partners in pharmaceutical uh, industry. Well, here's the you said that it's like um, widely available, and actually, it's not. Like we we are having major issues here. Doctors aren't prescribing it, or if they did, I actually have another story that hopefully they will get on and share on our podcast of the current situation with some twin brothers with their their parents in our hospital. And ivermectin was prescribed by the physician, but then the administration stopped the doctor from prescribing um, this medicine, um, the ivermectin. And the doctor didn't even know, okay, until that happened, didn't even know who stopped it. And then in addition to that, a lot of people now are going to online telemedicine physicians to get the prescription, but then our pharmacies now are not filling it. Uh, here in Wilmington, at least right. locally. And they're saying that the pharmacy board is not allowing them to do this. So, and then, you know, so people are like, oh my gosh, well, people are getting called by poison control because people are using the wrong formulation, the wrong dosing, and all this stuff. I said, well, this is what happens when you have doctors by that, you know, have them tied, their hands tied and they can't prescribe it, even if they want to. So then it's up to, it's left right. up to the people, people are gonna go find to a way. go Google these doses or whatever. Like, it's just, it's scary and I'm sure people are going to get hurt and it's going to give them a bad name. These medicines, a bad name, but they're just not being used correctly. You know, it's got to be the right dose, the right medicine, you know, the right patient. <laughs> so what, uh, what in the world are we to do? <laughs> I think stand up and speak up in, a, in as calm uh, a, a manner as we can to let people know that we recognize the science how it works. We recognize mechanism of action. We've known the safety of these drugs and they've been used for decades now. And we're not going to take no for an answer. And actually, we need to also just like with um, physicians, you know, find we need to go away from the retail physicians to the um, solo practitioners and, and integrated medicine doctors. We need to go maybe more away from the retail pharmacies to our local hometown mom and pop pharmacy that will compound so they can take ivermectin powder by, you know, by the kilogram and put it into an encapsulated form that's not proprietary form from the, and that the pharmaceutical board can't control them in doing because they've, they've got it and they're doing it just according to the doctor's prescription. By the way, I don't think the pharmacy board can tell a pharmacy not to dispense a, you know, a patented drug even though they they try and I think they, they they are succeeding in doing it, but it's not legal in my opinion that the pharmacy board can't this tell them. This is a compound pharmacy in Wellington. I yeah, actually called. They asked what it's for though, and if you I guess if you said COVID, then they're then they say. And I think, COVID what, they, I think what Neither. John is saying is they're doing that, but it's not legal for them to do that. Is that right, John? Right. right. That's right. Yeah, that's that's what in my opinion that's not legal. What does that compounding pharmacist just did is it. The, the pharmacist is not the treating physician. And while the pharmacist may be privy to the diagnosis, they're not absolutely privy. <laughs> they don't have to know the diagnosis in order to dispense a drug, you know. But, but to, to me, um, that's wrong. And I, I think, um, uh, I don't know how to, but I, it is coming down from the CDC, from the FDA, don't, um, to, to the um, regulatory boards, don't let doctors, don't let pharmacists, don't let them do their work um, because it might get in the way of our profits from our, our pharmaceutical partners. And we don't want anything to get in the way of the, you know, remdesivir, the, um, the different types of COVID vaccines that we're developing that are highly, highly profitable and, you know, very low, if not zero liability. So th this is a, a 
for the pharmaceutical board is just a win-win-win. And for the pharmaceutical industry, it's just a win-win-win as long as they can keep us from standing up for our own um, rights as patients, as people, as individuals, as citizens. And so your best advice, John, is find the doctors who will prescribe because they are out there. You're one of them. And find the pharmacies that will fill the prescriptions because they are out there, too. And I'll just throw this out here because I want to be as helpful as possible to people in the Raleigh, North Carolina area where I live. I used essential health, a telemedicine interview in Holly Springs. Uh, the PA did prescribe all of the things John just mentioned. And the Carolina's compounding pharmacy in Cary, North Carolina, filled my prescription. So just putting it out there, because uh, I know there are people who are listening from that area. I just want you to know this, these are the people who get it, understand it, and are helping. Um, and if anybody's listening in Wilmington, please let us know if there's anybody, because we haven't yeah. found that yet. Um, <laughs> so I will just kind of add to that. Um, I was exposed to COVID through my, obviously my father and my mother. Um, and I was actually um, prescribed um, ivermectin and so was my mother. Unfortunately, it was not a local um, person here in Wilmington, North Carolina, um, but if anybody would like more information on that, you are more than welcome to reach out um, to this podcast and we can get you more information on that. Perfect. And I had no problems getting ivermectin here in Wilmington. Okay, perfect. That's Thank Anna you. Murphy. That's Anna Murphy, y'all. That's John's niece who um, lost her father to this. And, and so, John, really, that's how we got to know about you is you were helping advise Anna. Once the patient gets in the hospital, we know, I hate to say it, but it's almost like I want to tell people stay away from the hospital as much as possible. Because once there, they are having issues, as we've discovered, even if a doctor knows ivermectin or hydrochloroquine might work, that the hospital protocols are preventing many doctors or preventing some doctors we at least know from prescribing this to the patients. And, and it's just like Kristen said, we know someone, it was prescribed and the administration came and put a stop to it with the doctor. So what's your advice, John, like around this? I mean, I know you, obviously it's a very complicated issue, but what would you suggest people do once your loved one's in the care of the hospital? All you're up. Lawyer yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Sorry, that's I mean, truly, that's what we're seeing. That's that, that, what we're but seeing. But you know what? This, it's not even helping. They are still not not doing it. Like they're still not doing it. It's it's really scary and it's really sad. Um, we do know of a of a of a of a lawyer in New York that um, has he has had a very high success rate of getting it done. I don't know what magic he knows. Um, but, uh, is it, Kristen, do you remember the, the name of yes. that? Cause we can give that out as well. Ringo, I think I want to reach out to him. Maybe Ralph we can even, uh, okay. Yeah. Give his contact and what, what's, what law firm he's in New York, you guys, and spell it for them. Cause I know it's going to be hard for them to hear. It's L the last name is L O R I G O Lorigo. Ralph is his first and name. And from what I understand, he is helping maybe other lawyers in the local towns, helping them get ivermectin into the hospital. So I do, we just want people to have, go ahead and be armed with this knowledge and just be prepared and um, make sure. One thing I was listening to a Zoom from one of the frontline physicians the other day, and Dr. John, you may um, agree with this, to go ahead and have your med list typed out and have these medicines saying that you're taking them so they know that you're already on them or that you've already been prescribed them so that perhaps that would be a little bit easier for it to be prescribed when you're in there. I'm not sure. Like what are you, I don't know. I mean, I know it's kind of like, 
you get into, you don't, you still want people to be safe. You don't want people to take medicine that's interfering with what the hospital is doing. So you don't want to do that. But it's like, it is scary that nobody's, because like Anna, like what happened, uh, you know, they get in and if they get intubated within a couple hours, you never see them again. Like, and you can't communicate with them because you can't be there to be your family's advocate. And, you know, the patient's advocate and the nurses, they can try all they can, but their hands are tied too. It all falls on, on the doctor. And now it sounds like it, it's falling on the administration, you know, and then there's nobody there to really be their advocate. Well, that's right. And, and it is a good idea. I like your idea to have it on your uh, medication list because the admitting nurse, the admitting doctor are going to pay attention to that at least and, and, and write it down. Now, there may be um, regulatory and um, governmental pressures to not prescribe these two ivermectin hydroxychloroquine, but, I, and I do think that that is happening, that um, like someone said, um, that the, the chief of staff or had said no to a prescription that a doctor had written in the hospital, and the doctor didn't even know it till a day later when he came back in to find out that the prescription hadn't been utilized. So I think there's regulatory pressure from the top to not, um, to, to any way they can keep doctors and patients from getting their hands on these useful and effective medications. And Dr. John, can I ask you this question? And I don't want to put you on the spot as a doctor, but, but because I, I know you would understand the chemical properties of these medications. So these medications, these, when you can go get ivermectin for your animals, right? I mean, because this is where they're trying to discredit the drug saying it's a horse dewormer. If you were to look at the chemical properties of that horse dewormer, let's say in a 1% solution in liquid form, how different is it from the oral medication you would give a person? Now, again, it needs to be based on your dose of your weight. They dose it based on weight, right? And that kind of thing. But is there a real huge difference in this drug when you give it to a horse and a human? No, uh, the difference may be in what they put into the compound and, and into the gel. You know, they, there are uh, different grades, pharmaceutical grade, then food grade, and, and then, um, you know, uh, there's even um, reagent grade, which is even above pharmaceutical grade, which is ultra pure, but there's different grades. And so the, um, the things we don't know about the um, um, horse or the animal, um, the cow, the sheep, ivermectin, is um, what the grade of the base product is. And then the things that are put into the gel may be more friendly to a horse's GI tract, uh, owl's GI tract. Um, but they, I mean, frankly, it, it was uh, nine years ago when I first used um, horse ivermectin for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So you used it, you, you lived to tell the tale, you weren't, you weren't in poison control. <laughs> It was very good and useful for me, and I was doing it as a, in a bit of, of personal investigation and research because, well, it turns out if you look deep enough, you'll find that both hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin have anti-cancer properties as well, but we won't go into that today, please. Okay, good. Yeah, no, no. But we are going to have that conversation someday, Dr. John. Yeah. I have a question. I know Kristen and I do, and I'm sure many of our listeners will have this question as well. Um, we all have kids. Um, Kristen and I specifically, we have six kids between the two of us, all 13, from the ages 13 down to six. How would you treat COVID with kids um, as far as, I know that, you know, with this Delta variant, a lot of the news out there is, is making it sound like kids are dying left and right. Our hospitals are inundated with kids in ICU. Um, so a lot of parents are worried, scared. And what is the treatment 
for kids and then also pregnant women. We'll have a lot of people asking that as well. Right, and this goes back to what we started, started talking about. If you don't know your vitamin D level, but you're sick with a virus, then you might as well increase the amount of vitamin D you're taking. So the first thing I would do would be to incre increase my vitamin D, maybe go from 5,000 a day to 10,000. Okay. And then double the amount of uh, vitamin K2, which would be from 125 to maybe 250 um, uh, microgram or milligrams of K2. And this, the, but, the, but as treatment goes, there's a number of things and, and you'll find some of them at the FLCCC. And um, these would include some of Klenner's work. But the first thing I would do would be to read uh, Klenner's work, which you guys should ought to um, each download onto your, in, onto your smartphone. It's the Clinical Guide to the Therapeutic. Uh, uh, oh, gosh. Uh, let me get the words right. Uh, it's the Clinical Guide to the Use of Vitamin C. And it, it, Klenner wrote this, and, 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 and he published in all kinds of medical journals back in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And so the first thing I would do for my, you know, six-year-old would be to give them a packet of emergency, you know, yeah. that that tangerine flavor is great, but some kids like the raspberry flavored better. So just whatever, just get, get them that and have them drink it for an hour, you know, put it in their, their drinking bottle and get rid of the plastic bottles, by the way, and reuse, you yeah. know, uh, you're, you're, because plastic is really killing the children. That's a whole nother separate, um, it's just, it's affecting the endocrine system of every child in America, in the world, frankly. But I would get them an emergency packet and um, some vitamin D and some zinc. And then from there, if they needed more, I would go along the, the methods that are described, um, uh, you know, for utilizing hydrogen peroxide in, um, in a nebulized solution. Yeah. Okay. We were just learning about that from one of the uh, FLCCC doctors. And I, that was one of our questions to ask you as well, because that's really fascinating. And it makes so much sense to me that if this virus uh, enters through your nose and replicates in your nose to clean your nose. <laughs> so um, get the snot out. So I wanted to get your, your, you know, opinion on the nebulizer and the hydrogen peroxide. And that seems like such an easy cheap, um, cheap <laughs> effective um, preventative strategy, or even when you already are sick. So, so for the scientists uh, and people who know some of the uh, organic chemistry, yuck, okay, um, there, there's, there's three amino acids that are right at the, um, uh, let's say, plug-in. You know, in, in, in houses where there's children, there are often plastic plugs to prevent children from sticking things into the electrical outlets. You know that type of thing? It's a, a cap uh -huh. to sticking their toys yeah. into the electrical outlet. And so there are, uh, there's a receptor, um, you know, which is um, called the ACE2 receptor. And there's a spike protein on the corona that is the uh, hand and glove for that receptor, if you will. Yeah. What so happens that there are three different amino acids right at that contact point. And if you use any oxidant, you know, we mentioned the vitamin C can be an oxidant in high enough doses. We mentioned hydro, um, um, Hydrogen peroxide is an oxidant. It's well known because you see it bubbling in a wound when it, you know, is oxidizing the germs in that wound. And then uh, the CDS that we mentioned briefly earlier can also, all three of those are very strong, or not very strong, but they're within human um, terms, they're strong oxidants. These are chemicals that oxidize something. And there are three amino acids right at that contact point. So if you can oxidize those three amino acids, 
It's like putting a plastic plug into the preventing your child from electrocuting themselves. It prevents the virus from entering into the cell because it can't get its hand into the glove. Just uh, the analogy being that once these three amino acids that are in that chain of proteins are oxidized, then the alpha one helix of the ACE, ACE2 receptor will no longer fit into the um, spike proteins glove. And that's the best wow. way of um, early on to use oxidants for my child, you know, that's those awesome. three. And I actually understand that. Yeah, that, <laughs> that makes sense. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. And see, this is stuff, y'all, that does not require a prescription. It is inexpensive. Now, nebulizers, like, okay, so is there, could you do this as a, this may be a dumb question, but like, as like, just like a, a nasal spray or like a wash, you know, neti pot situation, or does it have to be a nebulizer because they are a little more expensive? I'm just thinking of people who, you know, if you need something right now, something quick you could buy at the store or something like what is a quick you know obviously that's more in an ideal world if you've got all that but what what can we tell people because I think people just want to feel like they're going to be okay vaccinated yeah. or not doesn't matter just when you get this illness what can you do of all ages and any comorbidities you know this should not interact right right so so something I just um became aware of uh, if I'll spell it for you, I mean, you, you'll know how to spell it once I say it, but S-N-O-O-T, snoot. <laughs> be brand, throwing out brand names, but that's the only one that you're going to find. There's no other brand of this uh, chlorine dioxide nasal spray. And that's highly effective. In fact, if you're using it uh, if you're for your child, it's a pretty good chance, you know, once a day, you're washing your child that you spray it in the nose, they blow their nose. If their child's old enough to know how to blow their nose, they spray one spray of snoot into the left nostril, blow it out, spray one spray of snoot into the right nostril, blow it out. You've just oxidized any viruses or as many as 99.9% .9 of the viruses that are in your nasal passages. So they're not going to be able to wow. infect 24 hours or so. So, and um, snoot also sells empty nasal spray bottles. So if we were to choose to make our own hydrogen peroxide situation, we could put it into a spray bottle for use uh, as hydrogen peroxide. Uh, and the, so I, I just learned about these things, but they're highly effective. And for children, it's a no brainer because it does no harm. Okay, wait a second. Every once in a while, someone says snoot causes a little stinging for a few seconds. So in the nostril, but that's a sensitive nose. And I understand that if, it, you know, when I was a child, I didn't want anything in my nose. <laughs> No, no, except buggers. Yeah. Or you would pick them out anyway. Right? Well, they also said um, one of the FLCC, one of the frontline critical care doctors was also talking about X Clear. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's like a nasal spray with xylitol. That's um, right. And, that's and he was also saying that's helpful with viruses. And yeah, so you're right on. I'm just getting excited talking to you because I think these are the things that people need to hear. And I'm hopeful that your podcast is reaching thousands, if not millions. We um, hope so one day. <laughs> we just want to help people. We just want to help people. <laughs> That's, it. That's it. And we know that knowledge is power and the right knowledge is power. And we're, you know, we're seeing social media, John, and I'm sure if you're on there, I don't know if you're on there or not, but you'll, you'll see 
there's a lot of people preaching uh, the messages of, hey, do what I'm doing so I feel better about my choices, right? I think we have to all be careful about that, like not to tell people to do what you're doing so you feel better about how you're deciding to approach COVID. But I think I'm seeing a lot of fear. I'm seeing people in hospitals, nurses posting about how bad things are in the hospital. And, 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 I, and, and I get what they're saying, but at the same time, I want to say, where's the messaging about how not to go to the hospital? Like, where's the messaging about you got a positive test? Here's what you need to do. Don't right. think that's the messaging that's missing largely right now, John. Like, we're not yeah. telling people what to do when they get it. So really, the, the, the situation in hospitals is that uh, there's low morale because of um, not using the most successful methods. They're losing the game most of the time. If you want to call it a game, it's not a game. Forgive me. No, for but it, yeah. But it, in fact, the thing that is most inspiring of your morale, the thing that gets you up and makes you want to be a cheerleader for your patient's health is when you see the successes of the things that we've just been talking about. And, and that's what the hospitals are neglecting. And so the morale is down because the successes are way down and the disappointments are way up. And I think that the morale could be much better if they would incorporate on a regular basis the things that we've been talking about and the FLCCC are talking Amen. Okay, so Jess, that's what I'm going to ask you. Okay, I've got two things here. Number one, what was your what's your success rate with this? And when do you usually start people on these protocols? I know you said you bring them up. Do you do the? Do you just get them? Uh, are you just having your patients on like the prevention supplements? But then, yes. like when they do get positive, what's the first thing? I mean, I know you kind of went through that with like the IV vitamins or something. But like, what is your success rate? Have they been to the hospital? Have you had deaths? I mean, you may have, but like. What is the percentage? Because I think Anna told us that I wanted to. Well, maybe. now, the, the uh -huh. when we get to see the patients here in Tempe as outpatients is, is 100% in keeping the patients out of the hospitals. Um, frankly, we get them at the earliest point because they know us and they know that we say contact right. us. I, what, one of the most disappointing things I've got to say is um, hearing that other primary care physicians are telling patients, don't come to my office. Don't let, I'm not going to treat yeah. you as you're too, just stay home. And when you get sick enough, go to the hospital. And that's just not what we doctors are, are all about. It's, it's a, a disappointing um, giving up uh, by the, by the physicians of our own Hippocratic oath. But um, to me, exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying right now. God. Oh. But we've had our first hospitalized patient uh, among the people who we've, have been treating that aren't able to come in and get the high dose vitamin C infusion like Dr. Klenner showed. But with our, when people can come into my office and get the right things, we don't have anybody go to the hospital zero. And we've treated over 180 patients now. Um, we've had wow. our first, we've been, you know, working with because their own primary care doctor told them not to come into the hospital or not to come into the office. And so um, this is where like, it's like they, they're doing the same thing, the morale down, but it's because it, yet yeah, they're neglecting to try anything else. So they're going to keep getting the same outcome, which is not good. Right. And it's just, it's really, it's like banging our head against the wall. And I am, I'm like, what happened to the Hippocratic Oath? I've said this so many times. I do want to point this out too. And maybe you may know this may, you know, probably do Dr. John, but I want to point this out for everybody listening. All right. When they are fear mongering you and showing all this stuff about the uh, vaccinated versus unvaccinated in the hospital. All right. I did not know this. I mean, I know that the CDC changed their recommendations or whatever with testing and stuff like this, but 
I did not know that the CDC only were only um, calls you vaccinated. Okay, considers you vaccinated if you are 14 days past your second dose. So if you have only had one of, and this is the two dose, of course, Johnson Johnson, it's one, right? But if you've had the mRNA ones, Pfizer or Moderna, you are not considered vaccinated if you've only had one, one vaccine or if you've had two and it's been less than 14 days. So when they are posting, like, these are all the ICU numbers, these are the vet, these are the vaccinated versus unvaccinated, they don't have a partially vaccinated section. They, they are considering those who have had the vaccine, but only partially as unvaccinated. And so I have a friend from Wake Med um, that is confirming a lot of this. <laughs> and this has also been confirmed by another nurse at another hospital. Um, I just want to know, you know, like as far as the CDC criteria for hospitals reporting. So there, because, and I'm pointing this out because whether or not you've had your vaccine, the shaming and the bullying and the hate and making it feel like this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated when really I think it's the pandemic of the uneducated and uninformed um then like <laughs> like can we and I'm not saying that in a mean way I just feel like people are not educated Dr. John just like what you said you've educated your patients and so they know what to do should they get it they know early treatment other people are not given this information so yeah, is that correct I mean okay that's, yeah so, so really and truly, there's um, a lot of people who are admitted to the hospital after their first or after their second um, uh, jab. And, and when they do, they're still considered unvaccinated. And therefore, you know, even though the majority of Americans have been vaccinated, when they uh, have been admitted to the hospital, they've been vaccinated. But in the hospital's count, since it hasn't been 14 days since their second um, one, they're not considered vaccinated and therefore there's a uh, it's it really a, you know you know statisticians can lie but numbers really don't but it's a matter of doing you know using the statistics to make your own um, um, point and, and that's what they're doing it's, it's part of a narrative that only through the vaccine no other way can we get healthy and that's just not true Okay, last question, Dr. John, because we know you got to go but let me ask you this are you seeing people who have contracted? COVID naturally, are you seeing them for a second time with COVID or are you really, do you really see the evidence of a robust immune system post COVID? We've not seen anybody that we've treated um, for COVID come back for another um, respiratory infection, you know, COVID or otherwise, you know, so it's only been a year and a half, but I, I haven't seen anybody whose, whose natural immunity hasn't held, you know. That is such good news. Dr. John, we're going to have you on again because we could talk to you all day. And we, we know that the information you shared, we're going to get it in written form too so people can visually see what you suggested. But it's exactly along the lines of other things we've posted. Um, this is, you know, Dr. Murphy, you are just confirming what we're learning over and over and over again. And you're seeing it firsthand yourself that early treatment is saving lives hand over fist. So thank you for this information, Anna. Thank you for thank connecting you us much. with your uncle. Yes, thank you. Wow. We are I'm so going to order some snoot right now. It's easy to remember it. Snoot cleans your snot, right? <laughs> thank you so much, John. We look forward to talking with you again, if you don't mind. Thanks for being on with us. Women-owned company, the Snoot Company, is, is owned and managed by women. So let's say a big shout out to great CEOs 
you know, and they're women. Thank you. Yay. Yay. <laughs> we love that. We love that. All right, guys. It's uh, we thank you again so much. We'll see you next time.